real life. Superpowers. You know, you're taught growing up that you should stay at a job as long as possible, but the, the reality is you should chase the opportunity, not chase kind of titles or chase salaries. So you learn a lot. There's all these different games you can play in life, but mental models, that's a game too. Hey everyone, today we interview Eric Sue. He is the CEO of digital marketing agency Single Grain. Single Grain has worked with Fortune 500 companies such as Amazon, Uber, and Salesforce to help them acquire more customers. He also hosts two podcasts, Marketing School with Neil Patel and Growth Everywhere, an entrepreneurial podcast where he dissects growth levers that help businesses scale. Real Life Superpowers So, Eric, welcome to Real Life Superpowers. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so, where are you at these days? Uh, I'm in downtown Los Angeles, where it was kind of a war zone a couple weeks ago. But, uh, yeah, you know, just surviving in the U.S., I guess. How's that going? It's going well. You know, the one thing I think we talked about kind of being honest um, pre-show, you know, a lot of, I think, digital entrepreneurs, they really aren't saying much right now. But a lot of the friends that I know that are founders, they're doing well. But you don't want to say in this climate that you're doing well. So, um, you know, I guess things are going well, but I don't really, I'm not openly talking about it. Yeah. I think it's actually good. Like Conan and I discussed this a lot, that uh, it's sort of not legit to talk about the good things. And like between us, we're trying to shift the conversation and see how positivity and talking about what's, what's good and not just what's bad is actually a win-win for everybody. Yeah, no, it's, you need the positivity for sure. Otherwise, you just, it's, it's hard to wake up in the morning, right? So. Yeah. And also, you know, if it's going well, then it's legit. And it's sort of if, you t- if you're able to talk about it and, you know, like for the cliche, let your star shine, you're enabling other people to let their stars shine. So for sure. So it's going well? Yes. So tell us more about that. Yeah. I mean, um, where, would you, where would you like me to start? I think, um, you know, with the, the stuff that we do. So I have, a, I have two podcasts. Those are going well. Those are continuing to grow. Um, we collect, you know, advertising revenue from it. We have event spinoffs from it. We have other stuff that we're doing, but it's all surrounded around the audience. So I think the one practical bit of advice I can, or story I can share to everyone is if you build the audience first, everything else kind of falls into place. Um, so beyond the podcast or blog videos, we have the audiences and then it's like, okay, how do we continue to serve the audiences? And they also give us other opportunities. So in that sense, I think, you know, you start building the audience right now, you become insulated from any, you know, bad things that might happen in the future and bad things will you know continue to happen. Um, but you just want to make sure that you don't have all your eggs in one basket. So that's a great tip. But do you feel that there is something of people in the beginning, they want to be part of it and help it grow. But when it grows, the responsibility sort of changes and you're sort of not doing the same thing because you're scared that people will perceive it differently. Yeah. So I think, I mean, there's a couple of things in that, right? I think nobody knows what it's going to grow into. And then once, okay, Facebook's a good example of that, right? Now it's, it's, you can basically use it to manipulate people, right? Because people are very easily um, convinced to do things. It's, 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 to me, it's, it's marketing 101, right? You know, I, I'm not political, but it's, you look at, uh, you know, you look at, okay, why did, why did Trump win the presidency? It's a lot of marketing. It's a lot of branding that went into it. And that's why he won, right? It just, he had a better message than the other person. I'm not saying I like him or I dislike him. Um, so there's that. Uh, so I think, yes. And then Facebook didn't realize that there's, I think what you're referring to is unintended consequences, right? It's like you build this, 
okay, what happens after, what happens after that, what happens after that. And I don't think enough people think about that. And so I think the practical lesson here is I love reading about mental models. There's a great blog called uh, Farnham Street. And you, it's, it's just tools you plug into your head so you know how to defend against it. And you also know that if you build something, you build an audience, you actually have greater responsibilities and you have to live up to those responsibilities because now you're influencing a ton of people, right? Um, I just think some people abdicate when those responsibilities come and some people you know, will step up to the challenge. But um, you know, it gets scary when people are just like, I'm going to use influence for whatever I want to do. Yeah, because you do have responsibility. Right. And uh, so let's step back. And uh, have you always been an entrepreneur? I know now you have a really successful agency. What were you doing before that? Um, you know, so I have, I have a book coming out next year called Leveling Up. And until I, the way I look at life is, it's, it's also a mental model to me. It's, I think life is a game. Because um, I used to do esports before it became a thing. And so that's why like, I'm like, okay, everything that influenced me, the only thing I was successful at growing up was playing games. And, but that was never, I was never given credit for that, right? It was always looked down upon. So that's really important to me to, because there's 3 billion gamers in the world to get that message across. So that's that. But before I was, I was, I was basically lost. I mean, in, in college, in high school, I almost got, um, I was almost, I almost didn't graduate because I didn't go to this one required class. I almost got kicked out of college as well because I didn't go to class. I almost never went to class. Um, and you know, school was not my thing. And then I ended up getting this dead end job coming out of a good college too. Uh, I went to UC San Diego. So it was a decent public school in the US. And so here's the thing. I come out, I have no direction and I'm doing data entry. That's the best job I can get coming out of the financial crisis. And um, I just lost my way. And then my friend was like, oh, you should check out this digital marketing thing. And that's when I started learning. And I always told myself when I played games growing up, I was like, I just need to find something that feels like I'm playing a game. And I didn't know that it would be digital marketing and eventually it would become entrepreneurship. And now every day I'm just waking up, it feels exactly like I'm playing a game. So one life though, you only get one chance. So you, you better make the most of it. Yeah. And then, so that friend gave you a tip. Did you just like leave your job? How did you make this a reality? So that's a game within a game right there. Cause I was working a data entry job. They didn't care what time I came in. So I, I would come into work at 6 AM to 2 PM and then I, would, I got uh, two internet marketing internships. And that would basically, once I got home, I would study till 12 a.m. So I was, you know, it was younger at the time. I was 21, 22 years old. All I had was time. So I would do that. And then eventually I got my first internet marketing job. That was like a month later. And then within that year, I changed jobs five times, right? And so that's another lesson. It's like, you, you know, you're taught growing up that you should stay at a job as long as possible. But the, the reality is you should chase the opportunity, not chase kind of titles or chase salaries. So you learn a lot. There's all these different games you can play in life, but mental models, that's a game too. So anyway. But were you scared? Because I mean, changing jobs at a time where, I mean, now I think like it's very, it's very common. Like people, I think the, the, the lifespan of a job is the average is like two years because people are looking to sort of self-improve. And uh, is it like that in Israel too? Two years? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what I've read at least. I'm, I'm not sure if it's everywhere like that, but yeah. I, I think that the culture, the, like when you're talking about the, yeah, the digital space or the high tech space, I think um, the culture is, is um, you know, less definitive than the offline world. I think like, you know, the, the amount of, of scale and changes and, you know, adaptation and stuff like that, people are willing to change more like that. It's sort of like uh, the culture isn't, isn't a very big uh, gap in my opinion. 
we had uh, this entrepreneur on our podcast called Roy Deutsch. He has a, a venture called Jolt. It's basically like a new world of learning and like a, an alternative to, to college, but uh, for like actually building skills that are relevant to today's world. And he talks, he, I think he even has a TED talk about it, that people are coming in to work for chapters. And a chapter is an average of two years. And the idea in each chapter is to see how you build and write the next one. I love that. I mean, yeah, your life is a story. Whatever you want to call it, your life is a game. Your life is a story. But it's one building block at a time. So to answer your question, I don't, maybe I was naive, but I I kind of, it was intuitive to me to be like, I think I'm going to be stuck here. I should move on. So a lot of times, you know, yes, people talk about data, but I think your gut feeling is pretty important. Because more more often than not, I think you'll find that your gut feeling, at least when it comes to your own career, is probably more correct. So. And were you scared? Like, did you have any pressure from you know from your environment around you? Uh, my parents. Um, so my parents still thought I was lost. But that that's the other thing. It's usually your parents or what your friends are seeing on the outside. That's a lagging indicator because they don't know what you're doing day to day. But if you feel like you're on the right track, you're 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 taking the right habits every single day. Uh, absolutely not. So at that age. 21, 22, I was already starting to listen to audiobooks every day. So I think as long as you feel like you're moving in the right direction and you're not just um, wasting time, I, I think you're okay. So I was not scared because I felt like I was doing the right thing. Maybe also like the the books that you were listening to and the content that you were consuming provided an alternative and the sort of voices in your head, like not in the psycho way, uh, that just like sort of online mentors in a sense, maybe it's, it's mindset. Yeah. It's, it's that, that's a really good way to put about, put it because you read a book and it's 10 to $15. That's why every podcast I listen to, if it's, if it sounds like it's a good book, I'm just going to buy it, which my library is like built up now. Right. Um, but it's cheating to me because it's so cheap. You get someone's life experience. And then, you know, once, once you start to become more successful, then you hire a mentor, you hire a coach worth its weight in gold. Yeah, you think that even in, the, in this day and age where you can basically get those mentors for $15 and for the most successful people in the world, you, you would still get a, like a re- real life mentor? Yeah, I'll, and I'll give you an example. So the types of mentors I look for are people that have been where I'm trying to go. So my, my current, um, my coach right now, and I'll be very transparent with you, I pay him $5,500 a month, which is expensive, right? But he founded a venture firm called Flatiron um, Flatiron Ventures, I believe, with another popular VC named Fred Wilson. So he's played the game of business and investing. But then he realized, and he wrote this in his book, uh, Reboot. He realized, I think he tried to commit suicide because he's like, this is not, this is not what life is supposed to be like, right? And um, you know, he went on this journey, and then now he's a very, um, he's known as the CEO whisperer, where he makes CEOs cry. So he's coached the CEO of Etsy, SoundCloud, all these amazing companies. And so I was like, okay. If this guy can help me uncover things about myself that are deep, deeply kind of, you know, not that I really haven't explored, then it's worth it. And the very first intro call I had with him where he was kind of evaluating me because he said, I'm not going to take every client. He actually made me cry. And I actually, I haven't done that in a very long time. So if someone can make you feel a different way, I think it's worth exploring coaching. How do you find your coach? Like how, where, where do you look for it? Yeah. So I've had a couple um, and I've had a couple mentors Two, I think the coach is more like referral. So one guy was speaking at a conference and he, you know, I just reached out to him. This guy, a lot of CEOs have talked about him and people were like, he's not available. It's impossible for you to get him. So that was more of a challenge for me. Okay, here's another game. And I'll be honest with you, how I got this guy, I got one of his students onto my podcast and I asked for an introduction. Is this the guy that uh, also mentored uh, Alex Bloomberg on Startup Gimlet? Yes. Oh, wow. He's good. Jerry Colonna. Yeah. 
cool. I heard that episode and I was thinking, wow, that, that is quite the process. He cried hardcore on that, that episode. I don't know if you listened. His coaching session was live. Yeah. Amazing. So like, are you getting like really deep insights on yourself now? Here's, here's the thing. Um, I think a lot of us don't realize that the operating system we had growing up zero to 18 in the United States or maybe zero to 21 or whatever, it's, it's just, it's your childhood. And that's such a huge foundation. It's how you're programmed. And so you have to, there's a lot of things on wire. And um, to be frank with you, I've done a lot of, I've done pre-work with him. We actually haven't started our first session until I think it's in eight days, but we had our first session. He's like, you have, there's a lot for you to think about from your childhood. And so I read his book first. Um, and I'm like, the ways that I behave, you know, I'm very competitive. Um, I also like teaching a lot too. That all came from my childhood because I have Asian parents. And I, I think this is the same with um, Israeli parents. They, you get the beat down the whole time, right? They're, you're never good enough, at least for me. Um, you know, you're, it's, even if you do well, it's still not good enough. And um, it's just constant pressure on you to perform. And um, there's a chip on your shoulder. So a lot of that, you know, there's a lot of things I need to unwind. I'll just put it that way. What I like about it is I'm like thinking you're like gamification of, of oh, I love that. The gamification of like, you know, the challenging gamification. Two questions. In your organization, do you try to interplay that uh, in any way? And second question is, what kind of games? Like, I know you're a Fortnite player, but like, do you like, are you a StarCraft 2 player as well? Or like your strategy or what, what are you? Yeah. So that, that's funny. Um, so when I eat lunch, I, I watch StarCraft 2 replays. Like sometimes I'm like, I should be watching CEO interviews, but I don't want to be productive the whole time. So I'll just sit and watch StarCraft 2 replays from top players. Um, I, the games, my struggle with right now is like when I would play Fortnite or whatever, it's like, but business is so much more fun. So the whole concept of the book is like, Yes, play games, get really good. Those skills will carry over. But if you want to play the ultimate game and you want to make an impact on people, you know, employing people, make an impact on the world, business is the best game, right? So I'm again, I'm rewired now, but I do enjoy watching top players play. So that's what I do. And I might play in the World Series of Poker because it's online this year. So, and it's happening right now. Um, that was the first part of your question. What was the second part? The second one is how do you interplay the gamification? Because you're, you're wired into that. How, how are the people going to... If you asked me this uh, five, six years ago, you know, I would have been like, okay, it's, it's all about work at the company. It's all about doing, you know, working really hard. And, and you know, um, I just constantly work, right? But the most important thing for any organization is culture. And culture is a game itself. It's, it's an operating system. It's not just, you know, people say it's platitudes at this point. You know, culture is not, you know, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not ping pong tables. It's not, you know, kombucha on tap or whatever. Um, but culture is your operating system. It's how people behave. And you have to build that very intentionally. Um, and so I obsess over that now. And you'll find that the best CEOs in the world, all they do is obsess over culture. Like the one thing they all obsess over is culture. Even I'm looking at, I'm stuck on this Zoom screen right now. We're on Zoom. And um, Eric Yuan, same deal. You look at his glass door, very focused on culture. So that's one part that to me is kind of like playing a game. So do you think culture can be something that people can sort of lean into and absorb? Or do they have to come with predetermined uh, values of, of their own? Like how much do you think that's flexible? I think a big part of it is the process that you have, but the first part of culture, you know, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners know this already, but it's when people used to tell me when I first joined this group called Entrepreneurs Organization, I was only 27 years old and they would be like, Eric, have you thought about your core values? Have you thought about this? And I'm just like, oh, you know, I've read about all this before. And then you don't realize how important that is until you actually have the company running and you, you go beyond 10 people or so. And then you realize it's everything you hire and you fire based on core values. But even beyond before that, 
it's the pre-work. People don't think, when they think about recruiting, it's just like, oh, we need to hire these people. But you don't think about how do they fit into the core values? Do we have ideal outcomes we're looking for from this person that we're hiring? Do we have ideal competencies that we're looking for? So we have a very methodical process that isn't going to be perfect, but it's a lot better than having no process, right? So each process is a thing that you add to the operating system. And then the machine, the game, um, you're, you get to level up more because your machine is stronger than other people's. That's like really fascinating to me. And I'm trying to ground it to like an example that I'm sort of struggling with these days. So like one that comes to mind is in an organization uh, with respect to customer uh, support and having em- empathy. And I'm sort of struggling with understanding if that's something that people can, that are good people can learn uh, to, to sort of grow. Yeah. I mean, empathy is kind of, to me, it's, um, it, I think you can have it as a core value. And in, in, there, in some cases, you kind of expect these from people that you're hiring, you know, integrity, right? Integrity is kind of hard to have. A, you might as well just be like, we expect integrity from people. You're going to do the right thing and you're not going to be shady. Um, empathy, I think, I think it could work as a core value and you just need to have systems in place to make that happen. And I don't have empathy as a, as a core value, but for us, I'll give you an example. We have growth as a core value. So what we have in the interview process is um, this is a really important question we ask because you can ask so many questions, but it's like, Hey, um, okay. Uh, John, what are you, what are you really interested in? What are you passionate about? I'm really passionate about rock climbing. Okay. You're going to have five minutes. Teach me everything you know about rock climbing in five minutes. Right. And you can see if they really light up and if they're actually teaching you something, it's like, Oh, I, I'm actually like, I learned from this guy and I think I would admire this guy. Um, then you got something on the growth side. So I don't know what it is for empathy, um, maybe they have to give you a very specific example, but yeah. I see. Okay. Okay. Interesting. That's uh, I got to think about that. Yeah, more. But, he, but he thinks it's a cool game. So we can, uh, yeah. We'll upload yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. So basically you, you just decided that you're going to try and you started learning, uh, into the night cause you had a lot of time. And, and then like, when did you leave your day job? Was it like a leap of faith or did you acquire like uh, some en- enough money or experience? What made you brave enough to do it? Yeah. Um, I got fired. So okay. I got, yeah, I got, okay. I was working at this company. Um, it was a funny video website. I think at the time, I think it's still called break.com. And I was an SEO strategist and I was getting bored. I was like, okay, getting paid a great salary. I, I think, um, I was 25 years old or so. And then, you know, growing up, it's like, oh yeah, you, you know, you got to make six figures. And so I hit six figures. So I thought life was done. That's the thing. I was programmed to think that once you hit six figures, you're set, you should start a family. And, but I was like, oh, so this is it. And so what happened was I started a, an agency, a consulting thing on the side. And I put uh, the logo of the company that I work for. So there's like all these like logos on my website. Cause you got to add credibility. Right. And what happened was a potential prospect reached out to the front desk and then that went all the way up to the COO and they found out I was starting a company. And using their name. Yeah. Well, I used their name. Yeah. As a badge. And they're like, okay. So they printed it out and they brought me in. I was like, oh, yep. And that's when I knew I got fired. But (laughs) the moment they fired me, I actually didn't feel fear. I felt relief. I was like, oh, I'm free. Um, So like I went home and I was motivated. I just immediately went to work. I started reaching out to a bunch of people. Um, and then I got to work there and then things started to get to move there, but I was still kind of scared about consulting. And then eventually I got hired to be a VP of marketing at a tech startup. I learned a lot. Then I came into this company, uh, the ad agency I own single grain and I I wasn't a founder, but I was a fifth partner to help save the business. 
And then I can talk about that story. But, you know, now I'm the only owner in, in that company. Wow. Yeah. So tell us about that story. Yeah. So um, have you had, by the way, you should have uh, my, my podcast partner, Neil, on. Yeah, yeah. I consume his content. I think he's fantastic. Yeah, he, 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 I'll, I'll talk to him later. He, he's down to do it. But so he was actually a partner in the business. Um, I like to say it was, um, it was one yellow guy, me, and it was four brown guys. So it was four Indians. It was Neil. Um, and I, I talked to all of them still. Neil, Heaton Shaw, uh, Sujin Patel, and another guy, AJ. So um, what happened was it was a failing SEO company. This was when Google Panda, Google Penguin updates hit. These are the algorithm updates. And they basically invalidated our SEO business. So they're like, okay, Eric, you helped save this other tech company come help save this agency. And it wasn't interesting to me at the time. It was, I looked at it, I was like, this is a house of cards. This business is going to fall apart. So you were a VP of marketing at a company that was doing SEO and then you were like able to save that and you saw and you understood that you could probably help single grain that are suffering from the same Google updates and need help? Yeah, that company was an online education company called Treehouse. And at the time when I joined, we actually only had five months of cash left in the bank. So I took the entire marketing budget. I bet the entire company on YouTube ads and it worked. So um, that worked. We raised our next round and they grew. We, so we had a great product. We had a great team. Um, what we didn't have was great marketing. And so Neil was like, hey, you helped save this company. Why don't you save this agency? How did you know Neil? I think so with Neil, I used to read his blog when I was learning internet marketing. And when I didn't know stuff, I would email him and he would reply. Huh. So I was like, oh, so then I just kept emailing him and then he got annoyed. And then finally he was just like, let's just get on the phone, which usually if you get annoyed, you should just ignore me. But then he got on the phone and then we met at Taco Bell um, in LA. So, okay. And then, and then you had that conversation and he understood that you were able to save that company and he was, and he, he basically identified the potential here. So he invited you to join them. Yeah. So he's like, look, there's an opportunity here. And I was like, oh, I don't know. It's an, a, it's an agency. I'm not that interested in an agency because I thought I was so great because I worked, you know, in, in SaaS and tech. Right. So I was like, oh, you know, and I'm like, I think the business is probably going to fall apart because of the algorithm updates. I already saw it coming. But then I've reframed my mindset and I was like, wait, but if I make it work, then the upside is really high, even if I have partners in it. So I joined the company and um, a year goes by and it gets actually maybe a couple months, it gets worse. Uh, Sujin decides he wants out. All of them decide that they want out. Neil was like, you should get out too. The company's not worth anything. And so I said, now I'm like, oh, I get the whole thing. Now my upside is really high because if I, if I fail, I still learn a lot. But if I make it work, I can just take all that cash and redeploy it into all the other things, which I'm doing now. I just redeploy all the cash. And I'm like, okay. So I bought Neil's shares for $1 for 10% of the company. Another dollar went to the Heaton for 10%. And then the rest was finance, um, seller financed through, um, you know, Sujin and um, AJ. And so I paid $0 out of pocket or $2 out of pocket to acquire the business. So that's what happened. Wow. And I guess, I mean, you have a podcast with Neil. And so I'm guessing you're still on good terms. I'm on good terms with all of them. And Neil still, I mean, I think the other thing is he saw single grain work and he invited me to kind of, you know, join his agency to take it over. But I didn't want to just run an agency for the rest of my life. And so now he has Neil Patel Digital and all these other agencies around the world. And so he's made it work. So he's come back into the agency world too. Awesome. And then like you're saying, uh, basically, single grain is a leverage for you for investing in other things that you're doing. Yeah. So tell us about that. I think um, maybe a practical lesson before I go into it um, is if you look at Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger from Berkshire Hathaway, the reason they do well is because they constantly acquire other businesses or they reinvest, which is why taxes are not such a big deal to them 
because they just keep redeploying. And so that's another thing. Growing up intuitively, I was like, wait, if I keep realizing the gains, I'm going to have to pay a lot of taxes, which I think paying taxes is great. But if you're an entrepreneur, you probably know how to better deploy that capital to make a bigger impact, I believe. Um, and if you have nothing else to do with the capital, realize the gains and, and pay the government definitely, right? So that's always been my mindset. I'm like, I think I should just keep growing the company. And so um, that's the mindset. What I'm doing now is we have a software business called ClickFlow. So that is um, content marketing SEO software. So we have that. And then with Neil, with marketing school, we have an events business tied to it and a virtual event now tied to it. We have advertising that's tied to it too. And then we're, we're planning to start like an education thing because it's marketing school. And so a lot of this requires capital in terms of investing into great people because great people are very expensive also into marketing as well. So we have an, on the single grain side right now, we have a educational kind of, uh, let's call it a coaching thing for people that want to start and build an agency because we've done it and we actually have it. Like, it's not just like one of those internet marketing things, right? So we're reinvesting into that and that I think we're spending you know, we're spending a good amount of cash on ads per month. So all of it goes back into how do we grow bigger? That's the key takeaway. And, and, and like amazing that you get along with everybody that, you, you know, that's not trivial, you know, finishing partner and getting on. So kudos on that, on, on that side. It says something about how, how you deal things. So the good vibes is really important. And the question is how, because at the end of the day, people are people, right? So you bought them out and, and at the end of the day, I, they like you still and everything's good. So how'd that ambience work? Like, how'd you work that? how do you achieve that game? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, and so I think you realize that it's not worth burning any, any bridges. Um, so even though like internally, I, I'm a very competitive person. So in the moment, maybe I'll be like, you know, screw this guy, whatever. Um, but at, at the end of the day, there's really like, maybe I didn't talk to uh, Sujin for a year or two, right? The, the original founder of Single Grain, but we reconnected again. We did a video collaboration together. We did a podcast together. And you realize that, you know, life is short. Um, and to me, I'm going to be very honest. I'm going to stop giving you platitudes. It's also, to me, it's part of a game to, to get that relationship back and to continue to be helpful to them. Um, it just seems like it's a natural thing to do. And even right now, I know there's certain people, like I hear from people, they're like, oh yeah, that CEO, he says a lot about you. Like he, he says all these things about you. And I'm just like, okay, like I don't confront them. I hear all these bad things that are said about me from this one person. And then that one person actually comes back to me a couple months later and starts a conversation. And I don't even bring it up because that to me is, if you can control how you react, that to me, it's, um, you can call it stoicism, but to me, it's, um, it's an exercise in self-control that allows you to move past and operate at a higher level than these people. Is that the only thing that you did not respond? Because why are we assuming that that person even knows that you know he spoke badly about you? In some cases, so this guy, he'll message me and he'll need something, right? And I'll actually help him with it because I just need to make an introduction. So I won't bring it up. But in other cases, there's a very prominent guy. Actually, he's been on your podcast, okay? So here, I'll, I'll tell the story. I'm not going to say who it is. But um, a couple years ago, he went to Neil. He's like, why are you doing a podcast with Eric? Um, this is probably five years ago. And he was like, Eric is small time. Um, Eric is this, Eric is that, right? So all these things. And so then this guy gets on a podcast with me later, right? Because I'm helping promote his thing. And at the very end, I, I actually confront him at the end. It's like, hey, I'm happy to help you with this podcast, but I just want to clear something up. So in some cases, I will directly confront them, but now it's, it's water under the bridge. So I still talk to these people. I don't know why I do this. Like people are like, you should just like cut ties with these people, but I don't do that. I don't know why. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I can guess why. It's yeah. probably like in Zelda, 
You have like the types of weapons that you don't want to throw away until you know they're useless, right? So yes. if you're in that pot and you're like, don't close the door, maybe I'll need it, maybe not. You know, it's not my interest. You won't love me. I won't love you. That's a business game classic. That's the other thing. I think that's a great analogy. I think it's also like when you think about, um, you know, you're, you're basically, it's, they're throwing an attack at you and you're pairing the attack. Right. And then you're just, so it's, it's kind of fun to do that. It's, it's weird to, it's weird to say that, but it is fun to do that. But it's like, you're playing these mind games to make yourself stronger. No, you win. At the end of the day, when he called you and he needed something from you, at the end of the day, there's a scoreboard. And the scoreboard is, you know what? I could have done this and this. But at the end of the day, Bing, I won. He called me first to get that. And by the way, he didn't feel bad about that. So now we're even, you know, it's like a new game. You know what I mean? I love that. Yeah, the, the slate is wiped clean. So right. I've actually heard of a mind game recently. Uh, have you guys heard of, um, of the Benjamin Franklin effect? Nope. No. Okay, cool. So it's basically just another way to sort of, in a sense, manipulate people who are not, you're not in good terms, on good terms with. Uh, and basically, Benjamin Franklin, he had like this enemy, I think it was a senator or whatever. And this was somebody who was like really a hater. And what he did is he asked him for a favor. He asked him to loan a book from him. And that's all he did. And the dude like was confused, but he loaned him the book. And then after like two weeks, he returned the book. And that's it. And there's an entire psychological philosophy behind this, because basically now the hater did something for him. So his mind is like a cognitive dissonance because he can't explain to himself, if I'm the type of person who lends Benjamin Franklin a book, I must in some sense like him. And then afterwards, the entire relationship took a pivot and the hater became like almost on his side. And, you know, if you read about this effect, then uh, you'll actually find like it has to be a favor, like uh, that's meaningful in a sense. Like today, asking for, I don't know, a Kindle is probably no biggie or like send me share, send me a WhatsApp link to something. That's like insignificant. The guy will just do it and move forward. No, but but if angel. somebody did something that's actually like, it's not a big deal. He only lent him a book, but it's still an action that right. required some giving out of him. Uh, it changed the entire preface right. of, of their relationship. I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, you have a competitive sense too, which I really like, even though it's not, I, I think that most people don't even know that you're competitive because I can understand like you can uh, feel like you're very friendly, but you're still competitive, which is great attribute. By the way, I, I have that attribute as well. Okay, I, 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 I like that. And now I'm interested in something. This is something that, that I'm, I'm trying to understand myself. As a person who gamifies the business world, how do you gamify COVID-19 with business, digital or non-digital? But how do you see that game? Like what's the win here? Here's how I see COVID. So I think it's an opportunity for businesses to accelerate. Um, and this is something a lot of people aren't going to say, but um, you'll see this from a lot of companies. This is the time that they can trim the fat. They probably had too many people. Um, and there's people that just haven't been performing that they've been wanting to cut. There's also opportunities in terms of now you can actually go out there and get amazing talent that um, unfortunately they've been laid off, but you can pick up that talent. Um, and I'm like, okay, what else? So I'll give you an example. We're right now the um, for people to get out of their their long term their their office leases, they can do that. They can switch to full remote too. A lot of things that they've been wanting to do that's been in the back of their mind. I'm speaking for myself actually. I can just move it forward now. There's no complaints, right? I, I think uh, Kevin O'Leary said this. He calls it the cloak of COVID, where you can make these changes very quickly 
And nobody's going to complain because you can just say, hey, I'm making these changes because of COVID and we got to do this to protect ourselves for the long term. And in a sense, you are. You're not really manipulating people. You're, you are doing the things to survive. And I think during this period, it's yes, it's survive and thrive. But I'm also like, it's, it's time to invest. It's, it's opportunities while making sure that you have a nest egg. Yeah, but okay. I, I get that totally. But now let's, on timeline wise, what do you think? Like, uh, you know, that's if you know in three months it's done, right? So what happens if a year it's not done? Yeah. So here, here's what I would say. Like, I think the ones, the entrepreneurs I know that have um, diversified enough, let's say they built an audience. I can see them right now. They're, they're, their demeanor is very calm. And so for me, yes, I talk fast. You know, I might be a little intense, but I do feel like I'm good because if you, if you build the audience and you have, okay, there's um podcast for ad revenue here. There's event revenue over here. There's ad agency revenue over here. There's EDU revenue over here. There's all these different things. It's like, it's really hard to lose everything at once. Um, so now, now I, you know, anyone, anyone that's listening to this, you know, if you're building a business, I, I think at the same time, start to think about building an audience because when I was trying to save single grain, when we, were, we dropped all the way down to one employee and my uh, accounting firm told me to shut it down, I kept going with that. But at the same time, I started my first podcast leveling up and I was only getting nine downloads after the first year. And after the second year, I was only getting 30 downloads and I kept going. But it takes two to three years to start to build that audience to start to see results. You start to do it now you build the leverage and then you can start to sprout up all these other uh, income opportunities. And then when something bad like this happens, you will feel protected. And because you feel protected, you get to take shots that other people wouldn't get to take. Cause I know people right now that have lost 80 to 90% of their business and that sucks. I get it. But at the same time, like you should have covered your ass and that, that that's the hard truth. And that's a fantastic lesson because now it's an opportunity to reevaluate and grow and, you know, just make your business right and diversify. Yeah. And even if you did, if you had all your eggs in one basket, you know, 80 to 90%, there's so many opportunities right now. But we talked about earlier when we started this podcast, you got to look at things from a positive mindset. If you wake up with that positive mindset and you keep working, it sounds like rah-rah stuff. I, I think for me being Asian, I'm like, oh, I don't need that, but it's important. So, so Eric, what's your superpower? Um, I think my superpower is, you know, my ultimate goal is to level up the world. So I think my superpower is teaching. Because I like learning. So if I like teaching, learning goes into it. Because to be a good teacher, you have to learn. So um, yeah, my ultimate goal is to level up the world and just be you know, the greatest teacher I can be. Wow, love it. And your kryptonite? Yeah, I think there's a double-edged sword because I'm very direct with people. And sometimes when you're direct, it can break people. Some people love taking it. I think um, Israeli culture, totally okay with it from, what I, from, from the Israeli friends that I have. Asian culture, okay with it but in other cultures, not so much. And that's been a challenge for me to adjust. I've gotten better at it, but it's still a challenge. I know a lot of people that really, really like what you do. And I'm, I'm just wondering if they want to be you and you want to inspire any entrepreneur to do, you know, have this kind of journey, not the exact same thing, but it's the type of journey that you are having. What would be the tip that you'd give yourself when you're starting? Um, that's a great question. So I think if you think about all the other entrepreneur books out there, I've done three or 400 entrepreneur interviews as well. It's the same theme over and over. If it boiled it down to one word, it's persistence. This is weird. I actually haven't mentioned this on any podcast interview I've done, but when I read uh, think and grow rich when I was 20 years old, there's this thing that I've kind of burned into my mind that I repeat every morning. So it's uh, desire, faith, plan, action, consistency. Consistency to me is the most important one. I just repeat that self to me every day. What's the plan? So I call it DF pack. Um, easier to remember that way. 
but I've never said that before, but I've just realized that what you do in a year, it's really hard to see progress. But when you look at your past decade, it's like, whoa, I've done a lot. So just long-term, I think you be patient. I think short-term, it's a a big sense of urgency. And I think it's guaranteed that you're going to be successful. Fantastic. Love that. That's cool, man. Thank you so much for this, Eric. Yeah, thanks for having me. And like, you know, be safe, optimize, maximize, (laughs) and have fun and stay healthy. Cool. Can I give everyone a link real quick? Yes, of course. Cool. Um, Yeah, so the book I have is coming out next year um, in February, but I do, um, here's a URL for everyone. So levelingup.com slash giveaway. So I just got the domain. So there's a giveaway there. Um, It's it's going to be an assortment of my favorite books to help people grow. Um, So levelingup.com slash giveaway. Nice. Perfect. And maybe we'll have you on once it's launched. Would appreciate that. Awesome. Thank you for everything. And uh, yeah, stay safe. You too. Bye-bye. Real life. Superpowers. Superpowers.